Good evening, and welcome to World in a Glass podcast. Wow, you can't like what? finish it. Well, I didn't know what you were welcoming. I don't me know to. our podcast. Where are we? Well, I was gonna like welcome them to like Bram Stoker's castle or something. But we're not at Bram Stoker's castle. They don't Why know would that. You do that. They don't know that. They don't know where we are. They can't see us. Just out of curiosity, I thought we were twins, and you could like finish my thoughts. This is very inconvenient of you. This is very inconvenient of you because I started it. So copycat and okay. ruined it. I thought you were doing something clever. And then you weren't. I was. <laughs> okay. So, um, welcome to another episode of World in a Glass, where we talk about stuff and things and other stuff. And animals and cake. Right. And so, we're going to talk about... I really wish you'd stop doing that. Like, I... you have no idea how much I wish you would stop doing that. I have the power. Yeah. No, you don't. Okay, anyway, so first we're going to talk about our fantastical animal segment. Don't do it. Don't do it. I will ta- I will keep talking so that you can't do this because I am very annoyed with you in doing it. I'm going to break your, break your mouse. No, I'm going to break the mouse so you can't do anything on the computer. Okay. Anyway, so um, I'm up first this time. I know, doesn't, don't you, you normally go first? Nope, you normally go first. I am up first every time, <laughs> so to follow in traditional standing. It's nice that you've caught on to that. Yeah, I definitely like to pay attention to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So my fantastical animal, and bear with me here, is called Nasicabatrex hydranesis, whatever. It's a purple pig-nosed frog. Look at that guy. Wow, it really does have a pig nose. It does. And it's really purple. It also looks like a Pokemon. Why is all the weird animals that you find look like Pokemon? Um, Because Pokemon had to be based off of something. Anyway, so it's from India. um, And it was actually originally discovered in like 1918. But the tadpole was discovered in 1918. And then scientists kind of just let it go because nothing came of it. Um, because except frogs frogs come from tadpoles but they didn't see the frog that resulted from the tadpole because they stopped they like were monitoring the tadpoles and then they lost track of the frog kind of thing interesting yeah Hmm. um and it's because these frogs are like huge but they spend the majority of their lives underground and they only come up during monsoon season trying to like starting to realize why the scientists wouldn't have been there um, to lay the tadpoles. No, I don't understand why scientists wouldn't have been there. Monsoon season, they went for cover. They should have built a hut and worn rain jackets. Okay, so that's what you would do if you were a scientist. Did you hear about the chickens in Hawaii? No. So anyway, this frog was officially discovered in 2003 as being a purple frog. And now scientists are aware of its shenanigans and they're paying attention to it. And you can totally Google it, but I'll post a picture of it. And yeah, he's a big guy, but he is purple. Look at those. You know, your last couple ones are kind of gross. I'm not going to lie. One of the kids at my church is really into, um, like, amphibians and lizards. I know who you're talking about. Yes. And he actually um, raises turtles, and he was breeding dragon lizards. Hey, Jacob. Bearded bearded dragons. Whatever. Um, And it's really impressive, and he was letting me play with them and stuff. And so then I was Googling... I want to play with them. They're really soft, and it's really cool. I know. I love reptiles. I would love to have, like, a lizard. That's the weird word I was looking for, yes. Oh, happy to help. I really want a turtle someday, and I would love to have a lizard. He's supposed to be getting a turtle, like, this week or next week or something, but... I know. He was bragging. Yeah, so, um, anyway, so I was inspired by him, and so I was looking up different reptiles, and the, the gecko last time, and then this thing, like... You know, whatever popped up. Previously, not last time. Okay, previously on World in a Glass. Dun dun dun. And now it's my turn. Yes. Oh wait. Sorry. Um, you ruined all of my special effects. Ruin them. Good. Um. Oh, but so did you know about it? 
No. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anyway, now it's your turn. And I have one that you don't know about. Did you know that this creature is indigenous to Germany? This creature that I'm looking at right now? This creature that you're looking at right now. The hedgehog. It is not indigenous to the Americas or South Americas. It is found in Germany. Doesn't surprise me. No, I did not know, but I know what a hedgehog is. Did you know about this particular hedgehog? Yep. That's not nice of you. You've been telling me for months. But it's still a surprise, isn't it? No, I've known for months. Tell the audience what you have known for months. Ariel now has a hedgehog. And its name is Squeegee. I thought you were going to name it Serendipity. No, I'm naming it Squeegee. My bad. I have been telling you for months that I'm getting a hedgehog and I'm naming it Squeegee. I tune you out most of the time. So you didn't know about this hedgehog. Therefore, I win. No, I did know about this hedgehog and it's adorable. And um, you don't win. I think I win. This little guy wins. I think I win with Squeegee because honestly, I brought him in real life or her. That's not how it works. Yeah. And you showed me a picture and I actually brought something to show and tell. Do you want me to bring you a frog? Actually, I would not mind that at all. I like frogs, but I would prefer the bearded lizard. I'm not bringing a bearded lizard. But they're so freaking cool. Okay, so I by default win because you didn't know about my animal and everybody knows what a hedgehog is, except maybe the lady that rented this apartment to us. But not everybody know who knows who Squeegee is, and Squeegee is the picture I'm going to post, and so voters get to decide which one they think is the coolest fantastical animal. I feel like you're trying to cheat, but okay, whatever. So wait, great. So we had wonderful fantastical animals and our listeners can go and vote. Why are you rushing this moment? Don't you want to go play with Squeegee? I'm playing with Squeegee right now. I don't need to go anywhere. Curses. (laughs) I didn't think that one all the way through. All right, cool. Angela's just anxious because she wants to hurry to our next segment, which is... Drum roll, drum roll, please. I don't think that's in the sound effects. It's not. Let's eat cake. Okay. So today we have a black forest cake with a raspberry filling and a buttercream frosting. Oh, actually, that looks pretty good. Doesn't it, though? Why are you talking in that fake voice? I'm not talking in a fake voice. I'm talking in my voice. Your fake voice? You're a fake voice. I'm going to eat the cherry. Okay. I don't like maraschino cherries. Oh, yeah, you do. Um, This is also German-based. Or mostly, like... Um, mostly like Anglo-Saxon based, traditionally. My hand is suspended in the air. What do you expect from me? For you to hold still and stop moving it. Okay. Cool. (coughs) This was really good. It was chocolate. I really like that. Yeah, but it's kind of like more spongy than cake. And um I don't know what they have on the side here, but it's like a sweet cream with the raspberry filling. Yeah, it really tastes like it's got like a whipping cream consistency. Yeah, almost. And the uh, I think it's whipping cream. And the um I think it's a sweet cream, but the uh raspberry filling is not preservatives. Well, Sweet cream usually makes my stomach feel a little sick, and this isn't doing that. You know, I don't think it's actually raspberry filling. I think it's cherry. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, she said it was raspberry filling. She was wrong. Okay, then. Well, guys, that was good, and we found that at Toledo's Bakery in Everett as well. So you should check it out if you're ever in this area. Yeah, you should. It's on Broadway. It's uh, pretty good. And it's not near our house at all. 
<laughs> okay, now I'm going to be super paranoid. <laughs> well, that was fun. Okay, so um, my story I want to talk about is um, the swans. And I say that because there's a few retellings of the swans. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen did the most famous one, which was... The Wild Swans was done by Hans Christian Andersen, published first in 1838. Um, the Grimm brothers did theirs in 1909, and that was uh, called The Six Swans. Um, and then The Twelve Wild Ducks was a fin- Finnish tale that was done by Alexander something that I cannot pronounce. Um, and of course, they're so famous that they've been turned into ballets and stories and uh, renditions all the way through history, including retellings published as early as 2015. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's kind of a fun story. I was trying to find the history and basis of it. Um, I was not being able to do that, but I did find that there is a rendition of the swans of stories that followed the same sequence and are basically the same story mm-hmm. through like 12 different countries and cultures. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, Germany, mostly oh. Finland, uh, Austria, one in Spain. But I like, really like it when you find a story that like, is transcending culture like that. And then yeah. if you read like the different adaptations, um, you can see like the cultural influences into those unique stories. Yeah. There's one in Libya, uh, Romania, Italy, Denmark, you know, so really cool. I at first thought, Oh, Ireland. Um, I at first thought, because remember we discussed the children of Lear Um, I thought maybe that the wild swans was kind of based off of that, but I found no evidence showing so. In fact, um, the Irish tale, sorry, the Irish tale from the, um, the swans is, is not similar to the children of Lear at all. So it was, yeah, it was unique to me that I can't really find where this came from and how it affected so many cultures, but it's affected so many cultures and it's pretty much the exact same story, but it can be like a different bird, like the six ravens, the wild geese, um, the seven doves, you know, those kind of things. So now I'm going to tell you the story. Oh, okay. That sounds fun. So um, Hans Christian Andersen is the most famous, and I do like his. Brothers Grimm and the Wild wild Ducklings, which is the Finnish one. Yeah. I like the ending a little bit better, and it's a little less well-known, so I'm just going to tell that one. And then you guys can, if you're Patreon um, supporters, I'll post my script and my sources on Patreon. If not, you guys are, like, you can definitely look it up at pit.edu, so P-I-T-T dot E-D-U, and you can just type in Hans Christian Andersen, the seven, the Wild Swans, or the Six Swans by the Brothers Grimm. Oh, okay. Okay, so the story is that it's a king um, who has six sons and one daughter so seven children Mm -hmm. his wife is dead and he's in the forest hunting you know the wife always dies she does the first wife the second wife lives longer but the first wife is always the dead one well the second one is usually the wretched one probably most of the time yes yeah okay so he's in the forest hunting his prey he starts hunting his prey so vigorously that the rest of his hunting party fall back and they decide not to pursue with him Mm -hmm. so he's all alone and he gets lost okay that's already like he's dumb yep um well he's a king not Uh, to imply that kings are dumb but you know they have to have somebody in the story yeah but you don't leave your hunting party his hunting party left him no he left them when he took off and they weren't able to keep up No, they just fall behind. Anyway, so he meets a witch in the woods, and she offers to show him the way out, uh, but he has to promise to marry his daughter, her daughter. No, I'm going to take a pass. Yeah, so because he's single, because his wife is dead, he's like, okay. It's a witch's daughter, you dingleheimer. But his first fear is, well, if I bring a new wife home, she may do something bad to my children. Oh, yeah. So he agrees to the witch, but he's like, I want to go home first, and then you can bring your daughter 
after me. So she's like, that's fine. Takes him to his palace, and then he takes his children and hides them away in a castle far away so that when his new bride, quote-unquote, arrives, she does not see the children. Interesting ploy. Yeah, and then every once in a while, he would go out on a, quote-unquote, hunting party, but really he would go and visit his children that were safe and away. Okay. Except she caught on, and she made six, uh, six cursed shirts, and she followed him one day, and when he left, she walked into the palace because she really did want the kids to go away, and she learned witchcraft from her mother. Yeah, no kidding. And I still feel like it's bad parenting. You think a lot of things are bad parenting. Locking your kids away in a castle and visiting them on occasion just feels kind of like bad parenting. I didn't say that they were locked in the castle. I said that he sent them away and hid them in a the castle. They had freedom and liberty. Unsupervised. No, they had all of their palace servants. What are you, like, why are you trying to depict this as evil? It's, I'm not depicting it as evil, but I am depicting it as like... How are you caring for your kids if you're hiding them from, like, he's basically living two separate lives. He wasn't caring for his kids in the first place. He was the king. All parents should be caring for their kids, regardless of their job or patronage. Teddy Roosevelt would disagree with you. Would you like me to raise my daughter or raise a country? No, he said control my daughter or control a country. And he did care and raise his kids. He cared for his kids. No argument there. And he raised them. Uh Uh-huh. He just could not restrain his eldest daughter. Okay. So talking about bad parenting. And And honestly, she was just as wild and charismatic as he was. So... So... He probably wasn't even that bothered by it. Yes, excellent parenting. Okay, moving on. So, she goes to the castle. She has the six cursed shirts, and she puts them on the six princes, and they turn into swans. Then she curses them, and she's like, you know, you have to fly away, and you're forlorn song, and you'll never be able to speak and tell anybody what's going on. So, be off with you, and goodbye. Well, the princess, she's so heartbroken that she sets out to find her brothers. So, so just out of curiosity, how did the evil stepmom know that there were six of them? And how did she miss the princess? That is an excellent question. Oh, never mind then. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Moving on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, um, she searches for them for three years walking the earth until she does find them um, out of a cave off the sea. Um, And every day they would fly away as swans and every night they'd come back and be able to turn into boys. And she asks them, how can I save you from this curse? And they show her these thorns she has to weave um, into six shirts. And she is not allowed to sing to... um, laugh or say a single word during the time that she makes these shirts. So she's not allowed to make a sound. Pretty much. Pretty much what it was is that she wasn't allowed to express herself or express joy um, while she's knitting these shirts. That's a good distinction. Yeah. And it's um, painful too. She's like scratching up her hands and stuff as she's doing it because she's knitting these thorns. So she has to first weave them into a fabric that she can use and then, um, you know, spin them, I guess, into a fabric she can use and then start knitting them from there. Um, And she sits in this cave and from the day she decides to start making the six shirts to the day she finishes, she's not allowed to make those sounds. So a joyful sound. So it sounds like she needs the help of that um, maiden with the rose on her forehead to get this done quickly and efficiently. Dude, she probably wishes. Anyway, so she's sitting out one day and she's working on the shirts. And just so people know, this is taking years. Um, a prince of, from a neighboring kingdom rides by, sees her, and falls in love with her and thinks she's the most beautiful maiden. So he asks for her hand, and of course she can't say anything, so he takes her home. Um, and she bathes and is dressed up and is gorgeous, and so he decides to marry her. And all of his people are super happy, and they're like, oh, she's beautiful, and she's so quiet and demure, and she'll make a perfect queen. And her only request, like, 
not that she got to say anything, but she refused to go with him until he brought all of her supplies with him. Mm. So she has a room in a tower that she just sits all day and she continues knitting and making these thorns into yarn that she can knit these shirts. So do you think that they were having like like a little mermaid kind of she loves him, but she's just not allowed to talk? Or is it more like... She's sitting there trying to do something and he's like, oh, you're pretty. I'm going to totally interrupt your life. I think she actually cared for him and you'll find out later in the story why. Okay. So they're, of course, married. Um, and like any good wife in this time. How'd which she is say her vows? The 1300s. You don't have to say how'd, your... How'd she say her vows? She didn't have to say her vows. Yeah, you do. To get married, you have to say your vows. No. Nowadays, yeah. you have to. No, back then, you had to say, I do. Not in front of a bishop. Yes, you did. No, remember... Yes. So stop interrupting me. No. Okay. So you remember how they have to sit down and pray in front of the bishop and the bishop just lays the cloth over your hands and you sit there and you pray and then they would bless you and then that was the vow. Oh, okay. Never mind that. So you didn't actually have to talk. Okay. Well, I'm really glad that you have to talk now because I imagine a lot of people got married when they didn't want to. Even talking, a lot of people get married when they really don't want to. No, they get married when they really shouldn't. So, um, his mom, though, her mother-in-law, really did not like her because she didn't talk and she didn't say anything. And she, quote, said, um, how could we know of what kind of girl this is that comes from a place that she cannot talk and she cannot defend herself? She's not fit to be a queen. Hmm. Why is it the mother-in-law is always problematic? What I want to know is why, how did she find all of these awful people like so close together well well why is it the only the awful moms are the ones that live so like her mom died and then like but in that last story with the well i guess it wasn't the last one but a while ago the rose um on her forehead girl yeah and like the mother in that one was horrible and it's like why is the horrible mom living i don't know okay so the, I guess technically her mom was horrible too and she died. So 50-50 shot here, folks. Yeah, but it's really bad. This story gets really, really bad. So the mother-in-law decides she really doesn't like our princess. I thought you were supposed to do happy stories. So um, they've been married for a while and then the princess has a baby and it's a healthy, beautiful boy. Aww. Yeah, so the mother-in-law sneaks into the room, grabs the boy, and depending on what ro- story you're telling... Uh, throws him in a pit of snakes and then she takes blood and she puts it all over the girl's face around her mouth and since she's not allowed to defend herself accuses her of cannibalism how can she not defend herself oh you mean verbally yeah okay i I like i would like punched the woman so the woman puts blood upon her face and then accuses her of cannibalism and brings the husband, her son, the king, in. So the baby's really dead? So am I going to finish my story? Okay. Thank you. Anyway, brings her him in and is like, look at her face. She ate your child. She killed him. Yeah. That's horrible. Right? And the husband, of course, is like, Well, she can't defend herself, mother, and I'm sure that there's a reasonable explanation. I don't believe that she could do that. No, I'm not going to go with that. And wipes off his wife's face. Good job. Right? So then a few years pass, and she has a second baby boy. Okay. That's also beautiful. So the mother-in-law sneaks in, grabs the child, throws it into a pit of snakes, and puts blood around her face again. Could this woman die already? Yeah. Then brings in her son and goes, see, she did it again. And he goes... But she's so pious and so perfect. I can't see her doing something like that. I have to trust and have faith that she's not bad. She's just choosing not to speak because of something important and wipes off his wife's face and moves on. He's a pretty good husband. Yeah. I'm going to give him props. Usually they're not that great. Right. But on the one hand, I'm going, yeah, but you're losing your kids. Isn't that suspicious? Yeah. I feel like he should be investigating because he seems just like, what ifs? I'm not going to like... Like, I'm glad that he's not persecuting her and he's not just going along with what the mother says. But at the same time, like, why aren't your kids now having armed guards? Yeah. Now, I want to make clear that the whole point is she has to sit silently not making a sound while she's knitting these shirts for her brothers. 
and these sig- thorns. Yes, and the significance of this is that if she does. Okay, now the microphone is plugged in. Tell us your story. Oh, okay. Let's try this again, folks. Okay, so my story is called The Marsh King's Daughter. Um, It's a short story, and it was originally published by Hans Christian Anderson. I can say his name. And it was first published in 1858. Oh, uh, according to this website, it's the second longest of um, Anderson's stories after The Snow Queen, which is kind of a fun fact. And it is really long because I didn't think it would ever end. That's cool because I'm actually started reading The Snow Queen. I have his book. Cool. Yeah. I have his book, too. I haven't read it yet. Mine's prettier. You got me the book for Christmas. Oh, no, I have his Hans Christian Andersen collection, so it has a Mockingbird on the front, not the Snow Queen book. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was confused. Okay, so anyway, the story is basically about um, this fairy princess who... Okay, no, hang on, let me back up. So it's it's being told from the perspective of a pair of storks. And they're married, and Mama Stork is trying to hatch the eggs. And Daddy Stork is like, oh, my God, you won't believe what I just saw. And she says, oh, is it stressful? Because you know how I don't like to get all stressed out when I'm nesting. And he's like, well, yeah, but you got to hear this. So they're originally from Egypt, these storks are. But for whatever reason, they're over um, in, like, Viking territory for the season. Are storks actually from Egypt or indigenous to Egypt? I have no idea what, what. Oh, wait. Actually, I just remembered that's how they get babies. So, yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> so Daddy Stork comes up to Mama Stork and is like, hey, so apparently the king of the fairies over in Egypt is super sick. And the only thing that can heal him is a flower from um, the... What? What am I, I reading? No. Uh, the Marsh. That wasn't hard. Okay, so the only thing that can heal him is a swamp flower or the flower from the marsh, whatever. So one of his fairy daughters um, flies over in the skin of a swan with two of her friends, whatever, and they've decided that they're going to... Uh, get this flower. Well, the princess takes off her swan skin, gives it to her friends, and is like, okay, um, hold on to this. I'll be right back. I'm going to find a flower. And they go, ha, 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 you're so stupid. You fell for our trick. And they rip up her swan skin so that she, you know, can't use it anymore. It's been destroyed. And they're like, now you shall stay here and die. And you're never going to make it back to Egypt, and you're never going to see your father again. And they run off. Why would they do that? Why? I don't know. Because they're mean and rude and destructive. Other words. So there's no real explanation for it in the plot. But they're awful. So they do this. So then she's like, oh crap, now what am I going to do? And then the Swamp King turns around. He was hiding in the corner. He sees her, jumps up, grabs her, and drags her underwater. Well, Daddy Stork is pretty sure she'd be dead. And Mama Stork is like, no, no, the fairy princess is totally alive and she's amazing and all powerful and the Swamp King isn't going to kill her. So she makes Daddy Stork promise that he's going to fly over that little pond forever until they see what happens to the princess well so he does and after nine months this little flower pops up and when it blooms there's a baby inside that's terrible yeah so if you can't read between the lines which i'm sure you all can basically princess has been raped and drugged to the bottom of the swamp and but it's fine because there's now a flower baby I mean, is it a cute flower baby? Welcome to the 60s. Wow. Anyway, so Daddy Stork... Is that implying that everybody in the 60s was getting raped, or is that desensitizing the fact that she got raped by making a 60s joke? Just out of curiosity. I want to know which one. 
Well, I was desensitizing the fact that she got raped by making a joke because this is a children's story and I'm sure tons of people got raped in the 60s. I mean, statistically, yes, a lot of people get raped every year, day. Why do you go so dark on my stories? Why? I wasn't going dark on your stories. Your girl got raped. I was just acknowledging that. I think you're harping on it. And Hans Christian Anderson. Why would you put that into a children's story, whether it was between the lines or not? Because Hans Christian Andersen really focuses on the negative parts of the world, but how strong people are supposed to overcome it. Um, his story about, what's her name? The little girl in Kel, and like how he gets taken by the Queen of the North, and she has to go and find him. It's really cute, and it's a seven-part story, and people should read it. Okay, I'll put it on my list. But it really demonstrates to him, like, the significance of um, how there's negative and dark and evil people in the world that are wanting to hurt you. But if you just stay positive and keep going and stay above it, how much more life is going to give you. Interesting. That's very optimistic. Mostly, I think he's just kind of a jerk. Okay, so Daddy Stork grabs the baby because she's like, or he's like, oh, well, I need to protect this baby. And obviously, it's the fairy princess's baby. Um, so not knowing what to do with the baby's baby, they decide, they being the storks, decide that there is a Viking married couple that has not been able to successfully have a baby yet. And so they deliver the baby off to the Viking's wife, because the um, the Viking husband is away on a raid. And so Daddy Stork drops the baby off. And the wife is delighted. Hey, is this where the legend came from? I don't know if he's like using the legend to his own purposes. Or if this is where the legend came from. But yes, the stork delivered the baby. So I was right. I called it before you even started telling the story. How? Because that's what Egyptian storks are doing in the Viking area to deliver babies. And then oh, they yes, go I back for- to Egypt to deliver babies. I forgot about your bad joke. Got it. Okay. So anyway, the Viking queen. Apparently it wasn't a bad joke. It was premonition. Whatever. Uh, not a queen. Actually, a, a wife. So Sorry, I misspoke. So anyway, the Viking wife is super excited and stoked to have the baby. But what she finds out is this baby is horrible like there's the terrible twos and then there's that you know your cousin's kid that's overly spoiled and you just want to like kick whenever the parents aren't paying attention like combine the two and this is the baby from hell have you ever actually kicked the baby when the parents aren't paying attention i don't like the fact that you're trying to now make this child a baby Because babies are not generally horrible. They have to develop a personality to be horrible. So have I ever kicked a baby? No. I like how you try to (laughs) villainize yourself ambiguity. Ambiguously. There we go. You've never harmed a child in your life. Just admit it. I've never harmed a child. No. Oh my gosh, you're so obnoxious. Finish your story. Okay. So anyway, horrible, bad-tempered, evil child um, that basically likes to torture and kill animals uh, during waking hours. Well, she starts to get like a little concerned because understandably, if your child is hurting and killing animals, uh, they're probably not healthy. But she learns that at nighttime, the child turns into an ugly toad. Like your purple toad. Yes, like my purple toad, except bigger and with um, more humane-like eyes because she feels love, remorse, and caring. Like she recognizes all natural human emotions um, when she's in this toad-like form. So mom and toad baby bond a lot at night. Excuse me, when she's in the form of a toad, because that's when they can relate to each other, even though um, they can't speak or anything. 
Well, dad, when he gets home, is super psyched that he's got a baby. Um, and he loves the bloodthirsty aspect of this child, even though mom finds it super disturbing. But she never tells her husband <laughs> that their child turns into a toad. And she totally hides it from him because she's afraid of how he might react. And she prefers the toad baby over the human evil baby anytime. I would be a little afraid of how he would react, too, honestly. <clears throat> well, like, he likes her bloodthirsty aspect because he thinks she'll turn into a great Viking warrior. And so he encourages it. So, like, at one point, um, now we shoot forward, like, 20 years or so. And um, the... Hang on, I'm scrolling through my notes because I want to make sure I get this right. Husband comes back from a raid and they have a Christian priest. Um, okay, sorry. Um, they have a Christian priest and the dad is like, what should we do with the Christian priest? Because he won't worship their gods. And the daughter is like, let's cut him open and then have wild dogs rip him apart. That's rude. <clears throat> yeah and then she's like and then everyone else is like yeah that's a great idea so they set his execution date in the meantime while all this is happening the storks find out that the princess's father is still seriously ill but alive so i don't understand um you know whatever it's been like 20 years they're immortal it takes them a while to die i guess but the two um, fairies that had been with the fairy princess told the father that she had been killed by hunters when she was in the shape of a swan. Um, but Father Stork knows that they lied, so to punish them, he steals their swan skins and takes them back to Denmark with him. Uh, and he's keeping them in hope that he can one day give them to the fairy princess. So, oh, and the, the little flower baby's been named Helga in the meantime. So, uh, her human self says he needs to be eaten and destroyed by wild dogs. Well, when she turns into a frog, she realizes that she does not actually want the guy to be killed. So, she rescues him. And at first, when this, like, toad-like creature comes to rescue him, he kind of freaks out a little bit. But when he sees that she's trying to save his life, he's like, oh, okay, never mind then. Um, I'm going to follow you. So, she frees him and his horse... And he takes her with him, and they run off. Well, then the sun comes up, but she's, um, oh, so she tries to kill him because she turns into her human form. And he's like, oh, hey, you're Helga. And she's like, ah, and goes to kill him. He overpowers her, ties her up, props her up against a tree, and then waits for her to turn back into her toad form. And then he's like, I know what's wrong with you. You're cursed, and I can help you. Well... Then the next morning, they're attacked by robbers, and they kill the priest and his horse, um, And but night is falling, so I guess it's not the next morning. Sorry, guys. So it's like it's been a day. Night is falling. She turns into a toad. They run around, run away screaming because now they're totally freaked out. Well, in her toad form, she doesn't want the priest and the horse to be eaten by wild animals, so she digs a grave for them. And it takes all night because she's a toad. Um, oh, but she couldn't dig a, a gate grave. She ends up um, doing a burial mound and covers them with rocks. But it takes all night. Um, and then in the morning, Helga is really kind of sad and tired. So she climbs up and sleeps in a tree watching over the um, the grave. But she still, as her human form, she still feels bad. She's not really feeling bad. She's just sad. And it's not like she like she doesn't care. Oh, but so you can not, see... It's not deep emotion, but it's affecting her. Right. And so she rubs, like, shakes it off and says it's just exhaustion. So she's going to climb up in the tree and sleep. But you can see where she's kind of, like, losing hold on one or the other. So instead of being, like, straight evil and straight good, um, you know, the line is blurring between the two. 
So, but then when she turns into a toad again that night, she gets down and she reaches forward to touch the wooden cross. Oh, because the priest had made the shape of a cross um, when she originally appeared to him to like try and protect himself. And that's how he overpowered her in the morning was using the cross. Well, so the toad Helga reaches up to touch the cross because she put it on the burial mound and the frog hands fall off her fingers. So she's got human hands now. And so then she says Jesus Christ, because that's what the priest had said. And um, she makes the sign of the cross in the air. And then she like pop becomes human again. And she's not evil. She's now her good Helga self, but she's human. And so um, then the dead priest and the horse appear before her. Uh, and now being dead, they're apparently omniscient. And they're like, oh, I know where you're from and I know where you were born. Get upon my horse. And he takes her back to the lake and is like, your mom's down there. Um, so um, he, the priest like holds his cross high, swings a censer and sings hymns. Helga joins in with the priest's song. And then Helga's mother, still young and beautiful, um, appears and she's kind of lifted up from the water in the lake on a bed of lily flowers, but she's sleeping. So they take her and they put her on the horse. Um, and then at dawn, the priest and the horse disappear. Uh, but the fairy princess and Helga are still there. Well, that's when Papa Stork pops out of the bushes and is like, I have these swan skins for you. I've been saving them for a special occasion. And he gives them to him and they're like, oh, perfect. And so they put on the swan skins and they fly back to Egypt and the fairy princess is super happy to see her dad. And then he sees Helga and is cured 100 percent. Um, because apparently she was the flower from the marsh that the daughter was supposed to bring back. Um, the fairy princess wants to um, say goodbye to the Viking. or I mean, Helga wants to say goodbye to the Viking's wife, um, who had been so kind to her. Um, so it's weird because everyone's asleep. So they fly there. But then she just kind of walks in the woman's dreams to let her know that she's safe. So whatever, but she says goodbye. So then, um, Oh, and Helga sends a nightingale to protect the burial mound of the priest and the horse to make sure that, um, birds always sing there and that nobody disturbs his grave. And then here's where it gets weird, in my opinion. So now she's engaged to marry an Arabian prince, and it's um, their wedding night. And she goes out onto the palace's veranda to look at the stars, and the Christian priest appears, and Helga's like, please take me to heaven. I want to know what it looks like. And he's like, oh, I really shouldn't. And she's like, come on, please. And he's like, oh, okay, fine, but just for two minutes. And she's like, okay. And so she sees it and it's wonderful and it's fantastic. And um, he's like, okay, it's time to go. And she's like, just one more minute, please. And he's like, oh, fine. And then after three minutes, he's like, okay, that's it. You're done. Um, and so she takes, um, sorry, she takes um, or he takes her back to earth and she's back in the veranda and she sees that it's almost dawn. And so she goes back in the palace and there's this old woman she's never seen before and she's like ah who are you and the old woman's like oh who are you and she's like well i'm helga i'm supposed to be married where's my prince and the woman's like oh uh well if you are helga um then you're the fairy princess's daughter who disappeared 300 years ago on her wedding night and helga's like wait what and then the sun rises and she turns to will the first beams of the rising sun touch her and her body is changed into a faded flower and she dies okay that's weird and in, in so in the online version i saw it was an old woman but in this version that i'm just now looking over it was actually uh, a stork and it was his great-grandmother who told him the story of the Princess Helga from Denmark who vanished on her wedding night um, 300 years ago. Okay. I like the symbolism of the stork better than the old woman. 
And I also understand a lot of the Christian symbolism and what Hans Christian Andersen was trying to do very much like our St. Patrick's episode. Um, he yeah. retold a lot of cultural fairy tales with the connotations and cultural context of the time. Yeah. And that's actually what kind of drew me to it was that ending with your four, it was four, right? Mm -hmm. Kids that died. And then this one where she turns into a faded flower, but like, come on, you guys. Yeah, what's the significance of her going and seeing heaven? I mean, I get that she went, she saw heaven. She really wanted to stay. She comes back and she dies. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's like kind of pagan traditions, because if you think about it, it's like um, Rip Van Winkle and everyone like that story of the person who went away for several hundred years. There's Japanese folklore that kind of follows that where you're gone um, for what you think is a short period of time. And then you come back in the world, you know, has disappeared. And it has to do with, like, where is your focus? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you paying attention to life? Because this time slips through your fingers and you have no control over time. And so if you're not responsible and you don't stay on top of what you should be doing, you're going to lose it and you can't go back and there are no do-overs. So I think it's interesting that they, like, Christianized that. And I also think it's not very cool because shouldn't the priest have known better? And shouldn't he have been like, nah, girl, you don't go to heaven until you die. Go get married. In fact, why did he appear at all? I feel like there are four distinct endings in this story. And at any point, he could have just stopped writing. Probably, but maybe he was being influenced by something that he kept going. Or perhaps he was trying to, like I said, interpret and impress at each stage of the story that was hugely paganism. Um, I don't know. It was kind of a good story. I liked the storks. Um, I liked some of it. It was interesting. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Uh, I feel like he probably got paid by the word. I don't think he got paid by the word. No, I think he was trying to do something. See, it's interesting. Some of his stories that focus to me, they focus more on children and the effects the world has on them. Um, like the Ugly Duckling, the Winter Queen, the Ten Soldier. Those are, oh, the Matchstick Girl. All of those are like really impressive to me and they really do focus on the world around you um, and how terrible it is sometimes to children and how they should persevere and keep going. But then you look at his stories that are very starkly just rewritten for cultural and religious connotations, they're not as good. You know, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I think that they're not as good. Um, I think that they serve a different purpose. Um, I don't know. Maybe I do agree with you. I see you Googling, did Hans Christian Andersen get paid by the word? No. Stop. I'm just looking. I'm just looking. What are you going to find? Wikipedia? Apparently, Hans Christian Andersen destroyed his friendship with Charles Dickens um, after a full five weeks. Uh, you were just reading a web page highlight. You don't have all the information. I'm going to withhold my judgment. But I can also see why he would destroy his friendship with Charles Dickens. So this question is, was Hans Christian Andersen an ugly duckling? <laughs> and did he grow up to be a swan? Apparently, because over 200 years later, we're still reading all of his works. Yeah, um, Dickens got paid by the word. That's why he spoke so much um and i feel like hans christian anderson the publication date was like 1868 or 1858 i can't remember what i originally read or said you said um, 58 yeah and that's a time when authors were getting published and paid by the word so i would think that that's probably why he kept writing 
Okay, but I've seen Danny Kaye in the movie, and I think that that's more historically accurate. And he didn't write anything down. He just walked around the village and sang songs of his stories to just sad children. Oh, gosh. Uh, I've been doing this all wrong. Uh, I've never seen that movie. Um, but clearly, I'm completely wrong, and you are 100% right. And everyone, just go out there and watch that movie with Danny Kaye in it, and you'll have a true understanding of how Hans Christian Andersen lived his life and why he wrote what he wrote. Yes, he also wore the really cool, like, what is that? Please stop talking. Um, he was in Court Jester, too. You should watch that. Not Hans Christian Andersen, Danny Kaye. What it, the pestle and the muscle and the brew that is true. I said that so wrong. Yes, you did. Anyway, that was a good story. I got nothing. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for listening to us. And again, I want to remind you all that we are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We have an email. If you can remember what it is, because I can't, please send us an email and comment on stuff. Also, we have a Patreon account. You can find it if you Google world in a glass slash Patreon. I'm sure because Google knows everything better than we do. And we have a Facebook page. And you can always find us on Buzzsprout and Stitcher and a bunch of other stuff, except iTunes, because we haven't figured that out yet. But that is our challenge for this week, because we want to be on iTunes. And if there is any other platform or media thing that you want us on, then let us know, and we'll try for that. We also have a hedgehog, and her name is Squeegee. Yes, thanks for bringing that up again. You're welcome. So, Squeegee has an Instagram, too. You guys should check her out. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And again, um, you can find us on Stitcher and um, what's that other thing, Ron? Don't name something. Just stare at me. Google Play. I knew Google Play. I meant the thing that we just did. CastBox. That one, CastBox. You can find us on Stitcher, CastBox, Google Play, a bunch of other stuff. We also have a Patreon account. Please come check us out. You can find us by Googling World in a Glass plus Patreon. Or you could just go to Patreon and search World in a Glass. One or the other, whichever one you feel more technologically uh, capable of doing. A link will also be put on our uh, Twitter and our Facebook which we have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Is there any other social media that we're on? We also have a squeegee. Does that count? No, she's not social media. Um, she should be. No, she shouldn't. That would be weird. It's an animal. Uh, okay. And we also oh have email. So email us comments, questions, concerns, complaints. Uh, Ariel will read all of them and she screens them. So if you hate me, I won't know. Ha ha ha. I'm hungry. Stop. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And we look forward to hearing or you hearing us in two weeks. All right. See you next time. On World in a Glass.